creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like every few pieces I make is actually what I'm making is just an existential meltdown. That's what it ends up being. Didn't make any art that day. What I did make was a complete unraveling of my spirit and soul. You probably know the feeling, like every few things you make, do you just like lose your mind a little bit? It kind of feels like when you're in the pool or even worse, like in a lake where the visibility is low and you, you're, I don't, you're getting cocky doing underwater flips and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, man, I don't know which way is up anymore and you get that underwater vertigo. That's what it feels like. Every, I don't know, every few things I make, Every once in a while, I feel like I'm completely underwater, unable to tell which way is up while I'm making stuff. Do I love what I'm making? Do I hate it? Is it too derivative or is it too safe or is it too abstract? Is it unrelatable? Should I do red or green? Like which way is up and which way is down? And get that creative vertigo. And if you ever spiral out in the middle of projects, in the middle of making stuff, I want to share a trick with you that's not eliminated creative vertigo from my creative process, but has definitely minimized it in terms of frequency and helps me work through it when I recognize I'm in that state. I want to tell you something that I do that really helps me find up again. But before we get into that, here's a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, 
All one word, all uppercase. So this episode is part of a series that we're doing called the Creative Summer School Series. This is part four of that series. The most simple way to explain what this series is, it's basically like the greatest hits of the podcast in terms of ideas, but it's kind of like if a musician saw how all their greatest hits could be made, remade and remastered and refreshed and rewritten into a kind of expanded super album. That that actually sounds terrible, but um, I actually think it's good for a podcast series because all of these tips, uh, all of these big ideas from the show, I saw how they all fit together. And if you put them together, how they could act as a really great roadmap for building a thriving creative practice. Uh, so as terrible as the super album sounds, I think this series is, um, I'm really pumped about it and I've really enjoyed it. I have three classes online. They're on Skillshare and this series is really how these three big ideas form an overall framework for your creative practice. And seeing it this way was really useful for me. So I wanted to share it. These are the ideas that I return to over and over in my own practice. They are the things that I use on a month to month basis to recalibrate what I'm doing and get, you know, back grounded and figuring out which way is up and which way is down, so to speak. And so on to part four of the series, this is continuing on the last episode where we talked about navigating the mindset of working through the actual pieces in your personal projects. Like as you're going to make stuff, how do you make decisions? How do you actually make choices? Like when nobody's asking you to make this creative work and they're not telling you what it needs to be, they're not giving you the parameters. You have to come up with the parameters yourself. You have to make the choices all on your own. And that can be that your head can be a scary place to be when you're trying to make those choices. And so that last episode and this episode are really dedicated to navigating the choices that need to be made from piece to piece, from project to project, and how to find your creative true north as you're making your way. Chapter one, get judgy. I think that the first step to escaping that creative vertigo we're talking about where you can't find which way's up, which way's down, which, you know, which piece should I make? What color should I make it? What draw, what should I draw? Like all those things are choices that you have to make. And so I think the first step to escaping that is you, you're going to have to get judgy. And here's what I mean. You have to actually accept that in order to find the work that fills you up with the kind of joy that is the oxygen to your soul, you actually have to make some choices and you have to make some judgment calls. Like, you, you know, not every type of work is going to do it for you. I wonder if this creative vertigo feeling is so pervasive right now because of the times that we're currently living in. I think just like underwater vertigo. It's about not knowing which way is up and which way is down, which means, you know, look, I'm not an anthropologist by any means, but I 
feel from my lived experience that we live in a time uh, we are creating in a social sphere where we are all highly valuing a postmodern kind of detachment and non-judgment about things. Like we're all trying to live in a place, or a lot of us are, or at least a lot of us are told we should not make judgments like there is no good or bad. And I'll be the first to own that I actually highly value this value. Like I really do believe that if you're not harming others, your life is your own and you are the one that has to navigate it. It's not for me to tell you what's good for you or what's bad for you. That is your job. The problem is I actually think you have to do that job. I, I wonder if we have got so abstract and detached from our judgment, our sense of judging things, that even judging for ourselves has become uncomfortable. You go to make something and just by making a choice of what you think it should be, you feel like somehow you're judging other people's choices for making the opposite choice. I, I wonder if indecision and analysis paralysis in our creative process are a product partially of this postmodern kind of nihilistic approach to life that says we can't employ any level of judgment onto anything. We can't make a decision on whether this is good or that's bad. Like we have to have this non-dual way of approaching choices that ends up making it feel like eh, it doesn't matter what you choose. There is no good or bad. And that ends up equating to making a choice is meaningless because it doesn't matter what you choose. And yes, life may be subjective and your creative work is subjective, but I really believe that doesn't mean that you don't have to decide what is up and what is down, what is good or what is bad. You don't have to decide that for others. You don't have to make judgment calls on other people's art, but subjective does not mean that there is no good or bad. It means that good or bad is decided and defined by the individual, which means you actually have to decide and define and choose what good is for you. At the end of the episode, I want to come back and kind of explain why you can't be in this mode of deciding whether things are good or bad throughout the entire process. I do think there are parts of the process where you completely need to suspend that. We're going to get to that. But, but for now, I think it's important to acknowledge that there is a type of creative work, both in medium and then actually what you make through that medium there, there is a type, there is a, a choice that you can make that will make you come alive and soar and feel refreshed and feel expressed. And there is also choices you could make in your creative work that are going to actually weigh you down and suffocate you. There is an up and there is a down. I was researching how to find up when you've experienced actual underwater vertigo. And one of the tips that came up, and by the way, I am definitely not a trained scuba instructor. So if this ever happens to you, Has ever happened to you? you didn't get this advice from me because I don't actually know if this is a fact, but I found it really interesting and compelling. This tip, the most compelling tip that I found while researching underwater vertigo for how do you find up when you have lost your sense of direction underwater. And they say, the best thing you can do is exhale and let go 
and trust your body because your body actually knows the way. They said, as long as you don't have stuff that is really weighing you down, that if you'll just exhale and hold your breath for a minute and let your body do its work, it will float you to the surface. It will tell you which way is up if you will just listen to your body. And I think that the same thing is true for creative vertigo. When you find yourself completely disoriented, completely upside down in the work, the best thing to do is to step back and exhale, take a day off, come back to it, and trust your body. Trust how the work makes you feel when you taste it. Easy, right? Super easy. Well, let's just all do that. Episode over. Wrong. Easier said than done. But I do have a tool for systematizing this that really works. It really, really worked for me recently when I got upside down again on, on a project. And I am super pumped to share it with you. Let's go. Chapter two, define and embrace your medium. So chapter one was all about getting judgy. I almost feel like judgment as a word needs a little bit of redemption, kind of like pride has been redeemed over the, you know, the past decade, especially. Like, I think that there are some good aspects of judgment that we need to cultivate. And again, I'm not talking about judging for other people, but I actually think you need to you need to get in touch with your own personal navigation, your own subjective opinion, and start being comfortable with making judgments on what's up and what's down for you personally, including in your creative work. Now, if I've convinced you of that, if you're on board for that, you're ready for chapter two, you're ready for the second thing. The second way to save yourself from that panic of creative vertigo that we all experience from time to time the second way is to define and embrace your creative medium very specifically. At the end of last week's episode, I ad-libbed and tagged on this bit at the end in closing where I, in the call to adventure section of the episode about how one thing that really, really helps me creatively is to not just define good generally, like what's good creativity. That's a little bit too broad I've actually found a lot of clarity and a lot of grounding in defining what up is for the particular medium that I am currently creating in, in the particular output that I'm trying to make. Like up in my podcast isn't the same as up in a talk. Like they are different mediums and up looks different in those two places. Uh, good specifically for this medium is different for that medium. And for some reason, this just has been extremely useful for whenever I really feel like I've lost my sense of direction and grounding. For instance, when I go to create episode art for this podcast, I easily lose my sense of up if I'm just making podcast episode art. Like that idea is just way too abstract. First of all, it's not really a thing. Like it's very few people treat episode art for podcasts the way that I do where I'm creating new art every single week for every single episode. So that, that notion, that parameter is just a little bit too vague for me to get any purchase creatively. 
Because, like, what the heck is even episode art? What the heck is a podcast, for that matter? Like, defining that alone has been this tremendous challenge, but also very satisfying and very helpful for making podcasts. And so making art for the internet generally, I think, can be pretty overwhelming because it's such an abstract idea. I once heard designer Frank Camaro talk about how designing for a phone is so bizarre. Designing for an app is so bizarre. And this was back 10 years ago or something where there was this huge conversation around skeuomorphism, which is this idea that the app for note-taking would look like a notepad. And there was all this conversation around like, it doesn't need to look like a notepad. Like all the design of a yellow notepad had a purpose for the time it was made. Like it was made yellow for a reason. It had the brown band at the top because that was made out of certain material and all these different reasons why they made those choices. But when it goes into the digital space, none of those things have to be true. And that's great. It's super free and it's really interesting. And all kinds of great things have happened from releasing ourselves from those self-imposed parameters. But that abstract notion is sometimes too abstract and too open. Like for me, it's one of the things I loved about screen printing is that, you know, you have like infinite colors in the rainbow to choose from. But when you're screen printing, you can only really pick three to five. And and if you want to save money, keep it to two. You know what I mean? Like, and so you just, those parameters really help you make some choices. You know, you get in that overwhelm of the analysis paralysis because you have the the curse of too much choice and actually really gets in the way. And so for me personally, when I'm making podcast art or I'm making stuff for the internet on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, and there aren't these parameters, I have to self-impose them. And so it helps me when I make episode art to think of them as, okay, what? let's make this one like it was a t-shirt design. Let's make this one as if it was a sticker. Let's make this one as if it's a poster. And a lot of those things then go on to be those actual things in my merch shop online. Because for me, I have a sense of judgment. I have a sense of taste. I have a sense of what is up and what is down when it comes to the kind of stuff I want to wear in a t-shirt, because there's an application there. You know what I mean? Like what I would wear on a t-shirt isn't the exact same thing I would wear or I would put on a sticker on my laptop. Like the up and down are different things there. And imagining that for my episode art has been really helpful. And anytime I'm really upside down wake up, Chrissy. in the episode art, I realize like I didn't define the parameters. I didn't define up as I approach this. Now, the ironic thing about all of this is I'm going to give you a peek behind the curtain here because I think it is really powerful. It was very powerful for me, at least. The ironic thing is that I ad-libbed that little bit on the last episode at the end of an episode that I'd actually experienced a decent amount of creative vertigo creating. Like it just so happened to be that that last episode I made, which I'm proud of, there's tons of ideas in it that I'm like very genuinely stoked about or I wouldn't have released it. Like I'm not going to release stuff that I don't think has some of the goods in it, right? But I did get upside down. I don't like this, Christy, wake up! As I was making it and I couldn't, I was like, oh man, what's going on? And it wasn't until I used the process that I'm going to share in this episode that I found my way back down. I found my way back up, I guess, but um, grounded creatively. And I used that process and I instantly produced two other episodes after that because it was so helpful. And I want to share that practice 
right now. Okay. I want to share the process that I return to often to help ground myself. Here's what I realized. The creative vertigo I was feeling in the process of making that last episode was a result of the fact that without knowing it, subconsciously, I have been altering or toying with or abandoning aspects of what my definition of a good podcast actually is. Anytime I open that up, even if I'm doing it subconsciously, even if it's a product of, you know, an offhanded comment from somebody who said, you know what, I'll tell you what good illustration is, or I'll tell you what bad illustration is, or I'll tell you what a good podcast, what, even just other people's opinions has the potential to start unraveling my sense of true north as a creator for the medium that I'm working in. And I realized that before I'd made that episode, I had been wrestling with some new ideas about what I think best practices or, or, or a good podcast actually should contain. But I didn't resolve any of those things before I was in the making process. And what I ended up doing was sitting down and figuring out what, like list out actual ideas, a list of actual things. This is what I think makes for a good podcast, like a podcast recipe. So whenever I go into a project without a clear sense of my taste for a thing, I always lose my sense of up. Now, as a quick aside, at the end of this episode in the call to adventure section, I'm going to highlight how I think it's really, really important that you do this defining before and then maybe after when you're editing, you do the definition of good and you start thinking in this judgmental way, only in those faces, but never during the actual creative process. Doing that judgmental editing, is this good, is this bad? That is getting into your head in a way where you're leaving the flow. When you don't define some of those objectives up front, and you don't set up the sandbox properly for play and you didn't check it for that the cat didn't get in there and you're going to get salmonella. I don't know how to actually say that word, but that's what my aunt Sandy was worried about. You should don't go in sandboxes. Um, <laughs> not public ones. At least you got to only do the ones that are at my house where I've checked every time. I think she just liked checking. She's a weirdo aunt Sandy. If you're listening Anyway, back to, back to it. You don't want to be using, you don't want to be deciding what's good and bad as you're making. You want to get lost in that process in a non-dual, non-judgmental way. Before we get to that, I want to explain why I think getting specific about your definition of good for your medium is so essential. And I want to introduce this idea with a question. Why do we still have TV shows and movies? Like we have all of these things in a digital format, like in a sense, the whole digital way that we consume things means that it's really made these two categories completely artificial. We, that, the format that defined these things is completely obsolete in almost every way. This stuff isn't, the movies aren't on actual film anymore. It can be streamed in the same way it is at the theater as it is in your house. And even TV isn't TV anymore. You're doing it on demand. Just like in the box in your living room is basically a blockbuster of TV where you can just pick out whatever you want to watch straight off the shelf at any time. It doesn't, TV 
shows the parameters that they had existed because they had to be in a particular time slot on a particular station at a particular time. And so those were all the parameters. Like, why do we still even use these categories of movies and TV? Why do they persist? And I think it's because, well, as similar as they seem to be, the obvious answer is that they're actually super different. You know, they, they're both stories in video form with actors and special effects and scripts and all that stuff. But the way that we consume them for most of us is completely different. You probably don't sit down every night and pop on a movie. Like you need something shorter uh, or you need something more bite-sized or maybe even a little less intense. And who knows? Yes, we probably will see these categories evolve. I mean, we definitely have. Like a lot of TV doesn't fit within a the same kind of either half hour or hour blocks. Like it, it's all over the place. But I do think we're kind of living in the messy middle of that. Like uh, we're kind of living in this season where we're getting what I think of as sweet scone biscuits and gravy. Like that's what a lot of these shows are right now because they don't know if they're movies or they don't know if they're TV shows. And it's kind of like biscuits and sweet scones, extremely similar, like as similar as TV and movies, but there are definitely some key ingredients that change what these things are. There's a different recipe for what makes a good sweet scone and what makes a biscuit for biscuits and gravy. And I think when you miss the difference, sometimes what you create is essentially blueberry scone sausage gravy meal. And it doesn't, it's not right. It doesn't taste any good. We see the whole blueberry scone sausage gravy thing all the time. Like the other day I saw on Facebook, someone was talking about how they'd seen that someone had taken it upon themselves to edit the new Obi-Wan series on Disney plus down it from a show into a movie and said that this version was infinitely better than the show. And I have to wonder if the makers struggled to get out of the biscuit recipe of the Star Wars movies as they translated it to the TV sweet scone type of application. And they end up with this kind of wonky creative dish. And then I saw a tweet and this is brilliant. And it said, why do so many books get turned into movies when clearly it makes a lot more sense if they got turned into TV? Like one chapter is one episode. One book in the series is one season. And I instantly like longed to see all of my favorite book series as TV series instead of the way they get butchered in the movies. Like th maybe that's part of the reason why we always feel like the book is so much better than the movie is that the application that, that, it, that it's essentially a blueberry scone sausage gravy situation. And to me, this is even more relevant in the podcasting space because podcasts are such a new medium that the good practices and how we think about them and how they're consumed and what is good is still being defined. It's so new, it's easy to get... To, to turn a podcast into the blueberry scone sausage gravy thing. And like, what is a podcast even? Like, it's very hard to define. And the first thing you're going to do is you're going to compare it to other mediums. You're going to say, oh, it's kind of like an audiobook, but it's as much as an audiobook as a movie is a TV show. And again, I think it's not, if you use the same recipe for a podcast as you use for an audiobook, you're not going to make the tastiest dish. And 
If there is no difference in the format of TV and movies, we wouldn't have both. If there was no difference between a blueberry scone and a biscuit, we wouldn't have both. You know, and I'll tell you, I love a Saturday morning biscuit. Like it, I really feel every time I have like a biscuit, egg and bacon cheese, I usually, you know, let myself live a little bit on a Saturday or Sunday morning and it, it cures all of my ales. It just, it just brings me back to life. I love a good biscuit and I love a good scone. I want them both, but I want you to use the right recipes as you're making them. Okay. It sounds like I'm a guy who's massive vendetta of this like artisanal sausage gravy fruit scone makers like trying to make it happen and I'm like Rachel McAdams on Mean Girls just being like it's not gonna happen fetch isn't happening blueberry scone sausage gravy isn't happening (laughs) I'm gonna try to let it go but the same goes for audiobooks and podcasts they are a super close medium in terms of if you compare them to all the other mediums but they're also super different and if you don't believe me well why do you why do they both exist you know, why do you sometimes turn to a podcast instead of an audiobook? Because you need them for different things. Audiobooks are great for like long, boring road trips or, or flights or something when you're really forced to do nothing and you've got a lot of attention to spare. But when you're doing more distracting things like everyday chores or you need something uh, more light and less dense, something that you can tune in and out of a little bit without missing the whole point. Podcasts are great for that. They're, they're less formal. They're more authentic. You know, they're less concise. So in some ways, what makes a good podcast makes for a bad audiobook. That's how important it is to understand what medium you're creating in. Because if you're reading a book and it repeats itself and it's finding its way as it's going, like you're like, man, get to the point, edit this stuff out. But in a podcast, that's all part of it. And they serve very different purposes. And so the second piece of finding your way out of creative vertigo for me is just simply be very clear about what medium am I creating in and then use your own taste, trust your own body and think about like what is good for me in this medium. Those are the kinds of things. Those are my objectives as I go into the creative process. Those are my parameters. Because good from TV to movie to podcast to audiobook to TED Talk to comedy show to illustration for a newspaper to one for a kid's book, they are all super different. Like good in one is not necessarily good in another. And each medium serves its own objective. That's why they exist. And being mindful of that as you go along in your process, you will use these parameters as a means of finding your equilibrium and right-siding your mindset so that you can start getting to the surface and breathing again. Three, the call to adventure, create or update your 10 rules for your medium. Okay, every episode we like to do, we like to end the episode with a quick win. It's something that you can do with this information right now in five to 10 minutes. 
So you can get like some actual momentum and it doesn't just feel like, oh, it's a good idea. Like this is something you can actually do. Okay. Like I said last week in an episode about tools to get unlost creatively in which in the making of it, I got super lost. What helped me find my way again was this particular tool. I hinted at it last week, but this is a more specific application that as I put those ideas onto paper, this is how I did it. This is how I found up again. <clears throat> Here's what I did. So uh, essentially what had happened was I had subconsciously, while taking a break from recording the podcast, I had been reassessing my definition of good podcasting. And I do this from time to time. I think it's really good, especially if you're working in a medium like podcast that has not existed for very long. I think it's really good to keep assessing like what makes good podcasting. And the same goes for TV. Like TV has so dramatically changed over the past 15 years. I think anybody that's in the TV space should be constantly reassessing what good TV looks like, what makes for good TV. T and when I say good TV, I mean TV that lights your creative taste buds up. That's the only place that we're using this kind of judgment. Now, uh, I do think you should be opening up that and reassessing that on a regular basis. You should be defining good. But I don't think you should be doing it subconsciously because when you don't do it before the creative process, you're going to be doing it during it. And I think that is very, very detrimental to your creativity because you don't want to try to ref the game at the same time that you're trying to get in the flow state and, and do, you know, sweet dunks like Michael Jordan in the zone. Like those are two parts of the brain. And so what I want you to do is define good with your own 10 guiding principles before you actually make anything. And you don't have to put all 10 things in everything you make. They don't have to be prescriptive, but they help ground you and give a sense of up before you go into it and let go and, and flow. So here's what I did. And it just totally, as soon as I wrote these out, I had multiple podcasts just come to me instantly. I got back to writing and here I am recording them um, just a couple of days later. So I defined 10 guiding principles for what I believe make good podcasts. And I broke it down into two five point halves. So five principles, I, I found those definitions of good by listening to my body. That's right. Number one was just whoop, because that was my, the sound my stomach made. No, that's not what I mean by listen to your body. What I mean was I just thought back to what are the things that when they're in a podcast that I love, I'm like, oh man, I love when podcasts do this. And I just listed them out. I just sat there for a couple minutes and thought about like, what is a good podcast when I've listened to one? The first one was a relatable problem. You know, something that I'm like, oh, that's something that I really struggle with. It's exactly uh, something I'm trying to figure out. Another one is something surprising but also self-evident where like when you hear it, you know, it's true. And, and it gives you an, a surprising perspective that you were completely missing. Another one is passion and energy. Like a lot of the podcasts I go to, it's when I just need like some mirroring. I, I want to just remember what it feels like to be pumped and, and excited again by someone who is excited about anything. 
And that can get me feeling like, oh man, yeah, this is what it feels like to be excited about life. Uh, the fourth one was like fun, actionable homework, things that you actually can go put to practice right now. And the fifth is I want them to be honest. I don't want them to be, uh, you know, full of definitive statements that are clearly short-sighted or naive. Um, I want them to be, I don't want them to ignore the complexities of, um, of, of life. And, uh, these five things, these are, I realized correlate exactly to the sections that I set up in every single episode, every single episode, the outline that I use starts with a relatable problem. Like we, we start then with like, what's the idea that I think is needed like right now, like that really helped me and all and so on and so forth. But it was super helpful to just identify that and see like, oh, this is what I built this for. This is why I'm doing that. So then as I go to make, I don't have to be like, does this have the stuff that I like in a podcast? Because I know I've already created a good container for that. And I don't need to even open up that judgmental side of my brain. And some of you listen to the show, when it starts off being like, we need to get judgy, you might be like, panic. You're like, no, I know that's not good for creativity. And you're right, it isn't good in the creative process. But this is how you actually eliminate it from the process of making, is by doing it beforehand and after. Because uh, after, you're going to edit. Before, you're going to set the parameters. In the middle, you're going to play. But you can only play if the rules are really concrete. Like if every second... Michael Jordan's thinking about, let's update the metaphor, LeBron James. How about if every second LeBron James is like, are you allowed to put two hands on the ball? Like, no, you're not going to be able to be in the flow. And the way you do that is be very familiar with the rules beforehand. And, and you let someone else take care of the editing. You let someone else be the ref. And that someone else can be you in the future, or it can be someone giving you feedback after the process is over. Okay, for the second five guidelines my prompt was a little bit different and it really, really worked. I said, what are the five things that make a good podcast by starting with what they're not? And I started thinking about like, why do I go to podcasts instead of audiobooks when I want a podcast? Like, what am I looking for? And so if you were working in TV, start with saying like, why do I go to TV instead of movies? Like, what is good TV not? Like what is bad TV? What is TV that should have been a movie? And so I started thinking about like, what are podcasts not? They're not super polished to the point where they're inauthentic and they're extremely scripted. Like that, I don't like that. Like that is fine for when this is, you know, stamp of approval of a publisher and they've put it in writing and they've published it in a book. Like you want it to be very, very like polished and you don't want a ton of mistakes and all that kind of stuff. But podcasts, one of the great things about them is that they're not too polished. Like they, they're very authentic. They're, these are people working out things in real time. And it almost feels like you're in the conversation. You've seen that meme of what I feel like listening to podcasts. And it's a kid sitting next to a poster with a bunch of people that are just sat around laughing, but he's sat around laughing like he's part of the group. Like that's what a good podcast is. The second thing I kind of came up with was they're not too dense. 
Like I don't go to an audiobook when I know I'm not going to be doing an activity where I can retain every single thing that I'm hearing. But podcasts are often, because they're not super dense and they're more casual, I can actually tune in a little bit. I can miss bits without missing the whole thing. And so for podcasts that actually make sense for them to not be ultra tight scripted, right? So I went through and I made five rules. I'm not going to go through all of them now, but um, it was so helpful to look at a medium that was very similar, but not the same recipe and figure out like, what are the key differences in the ingredients? Because that really is going to illustrate what I'm trying to uh, shoot for the objective I'm trying to hit as I work within the parameters of what I define as good for this medium. Now, this exercise instantly birthed several episodes, gave me tons of clarity. I, I found my way again and I contacted the service and I've been breathing for a few days ever since and it feels fantastic. Your definition of good is always subconsciously changing. And that's why no matter when you did this thing last or no matter if you've never done it, I think it's a good idea to stop what you're doing, list out these 10 things, use this prompt, and you can do it in like 10 minutes, and it was extremely effective to me, and I'm, I was super pumped to share with you. that does it for another episode massive thanks to our patreon backers this whole podcast is partially listener supported uh you know there's a bunch of hidden costs when you make a podcast that you didn't know were going to happen especially as it grows you start having to pay for the emails you know the email uh newsletter you have to pay for the hosting you have to pay for the editing and all kinds of stuff and so there's a lot of little costs that add up for this show and i just super appreciate all the patrons for just taking care of so much, if not all of that. And a lot of you have been coming out and supporting the show since I've been giving the patrons their due. You know, I used to not talk about it because I thought, I'm not trying to like sell everybody. Like really, this is a free resource for people who need it. If you don't have any extra bucks a month, don't support the Patreon, honestly. Um, I'm making this to support you, but if you can spare a few bucks and you get a lot from the show, I really, really appreciate it. And you make it possible. So thank you, Patreon backers. Massive thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music and jingle. Thanks to Connor Jones of uh, Pending Beautiful for editing this show. And massive thanks to the rest of the Creative Pep Talk team, Ryan Appleton, Sophie Miller, Katie Chandler. Couldn't do it without you and all your assistance. Thank you. And till we speak again, stay pepped up. <laughs>